Hi friends, Logan Clements here, one of your co-hosts with the Better Events Podcast. This week's episode is all about building a profitable event business. Mary and I start from the basics and get really into the weeds about how we have built our event businesses. So whether you're just getting started, thinking about going out on your own, or you've been in business for a couple years, there's going to be something for you. Before we get into the episode, we do want to hear from you. Click the link in our show notes and you can record why you like events so much. We're going to feature that in our 100th episode. I know, I can't believe it. We almost have 100 episodes of this podcast, but please, we want to hear from you. Submit your answers through the link and you might hear yourself on a future episode. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. This is your co-host, Mary Davidson, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Logan Clements. And today we are talking about building a profitable event business. So before we get into it, our conversation starter for today is, Logan, how do you find a moment of self-care during your busy season? Yeah, we're, you know, we're we're getting up there, I feel like, with the spring season. So self-care for me right now has meant massages <laughs> or prioritizing movement. I had another event pro tell sing the praises of getting a 90 minute massage versus a 60 minute massage. And it is something that I started doing after my fall busy season last year and, or at this point, maybe two years ago. Um, and I haven't stopped trying to get monthly massages because I've just come to the realization that like my body is part of my work and being able to at least walk and stand for long periods of time is like crucial to events um, even doing virtual things, you know, having to sit or stand at your desk for a long period of time that I like need to take care of my physical health. How about you, Mary? What is your, what do you do for self-care during your busy season? Yeah, I think exercise in the morning is something that I really love to do. Um, I used to not be a morning exercise person, but now I like, it really sets up my day and I feel like accomplished and energized right, right away. So I'd say, even though I'm busy, like I try to save time for that. But also I have a note here from something that Logan said, which is just taking breaks, like even if it's like five minute breaks, because Logan, one time in a meeting, you said that when we take breaks, we give our brains room for new ideas and self-care. So I put that to remember. So take take breaks as well. I'll have to remind myself of my own advice a while ago. (laughs) Yeah, that was really smart. Pass Logan. (laughs) Yeah, good job. Pass Logan. Um, well, listeners, one of the, we just like to talk about why we chose this week's topic. Uh, one of the biggest challenges I feel like when you get started, or maybe if you're experiencing burnout in the events industry, is making sure that you're creating a profitable business. And while we're going to probably a- approach this topic both as two business owners and people who run our own businesses, I think this definitely applies to full-time people as well, because you know the stress of working in a company that is just struggling to get by versus one that's financially profitable is a very different experience, even as an employee. So you might assume that all businesses are profitable, but Mary and I are going to break down what it even means to be profitable, how we structure our businesses, and how to handle the unexpected. So think about like costs and things that come up, because we love to plan in events, but a lot of things go not according to plan. So Mary, I've We love to set the scene and think really broad at the beginning, but what do we mean when we say profitable event business? 
I mean, yeah, when I, when I was looking through this topic, that was also my first actual question. I'm like, hey, what does that actually mean? So good, good first question. Um, I think it just means generating like enough income to cover the expenses. So profit to me, I always think of it as like, like net profit, like there's gross and there's net. And to me, it's profit is what's left over at the end. Um, that's how I think I would in- interpret it. But also I think it's like a, like an important piece is to talk about like the revenue and the profit that you've had before then. Um, but I think most people probably think net. I don't know. What do you think, Logan? Yeah, I would completely agree with that. I mean, the definition of profit is it's the it's the net income you have after you take your revenue minus your expenses. So for me, it would just be that you are you are making money and you are not losing money. And unfortunately, I feel like it is quite common in the event industry to have businesses that are just breaking even or maybe actually losing money. Uh, you hate to see that, but um, there's also different cases. I feel like when you're first starting, maybe profit you don't need as much of a profit or you're willing to take a loss because you're getting started. But the big thing I, we want to emphasize, emphasize in this episode is you should be trying to get to becoming profitable and you should be trying to do that pretty quickly in order for it to be sustainable for yourself and for your clients. Um, so to the next question, I feel like is, is aren't, but Mary, aren't all event businesses profitable? (laughs) Why or why not? (laughs) You know, this is interesting. I was just talking to someone else in the industry about this yesterday because she said something and I was like, wait a minute, can you please clarify? And what we ended up talking about was, um, basically like her, her paying herself versus how much money her business has made. And and I misunderstood that at first. So I was like, wait, wh- what do you mean? Like, basically, like, isn't your business profitable? Like, is what I was misunderstanding. Um, so I think that's a tricky question. Aren't all event businesses profitable? I mean, I think it really depends. I think it's hard not to be. I mean, here's the thing. If you're providing a service base, like your overhead is like way lower. So I would like to know if if it's not profitable, how that that is. I don't know. Yeah, I am, I am I am firmly in the camp that that uh not every event business is profitable because I I think there is a certain level of overhead that everybody has no matter if you're a freelancer or if you're a business with employees there are certain costs and when we say overhead that means like certain fixed costs that you have to pay and it's not necessarily associated with a particular event or client Um, So an example might be that you pay for QuickBooks to do your accounting, which is an accounting software. And that can be anywhere from 20 to 100 bucks a month. And that is just to help you run your business. Or it could be that you pay for the G Suite. If you use all the Google like things, that's $5.99, which again, doesn't feel very heavy per month, but that could add up. Um, So I think there's a lot of people who who might describe themselves as profitable. But if you actually got into their numbers, and I know we're going to dive more into that later, um, I, but I don't think they are profitable. Um, and we'll see this as an example would be if you come along and you, you learn that there's planners or other people who are charging very low for their services. And maybe that's because they're just getting started. But often it could be that they aren't worried about being profitable. They just want the experience and they want the clients. And whether it's they live with someone else and they can l- rely on that other income or they came in with a bunch of savings from their old job or they're working full time and this is just a side hustle to them. But I feel like there's a lot of people out there um, that again, I wouldn't necessarily by the numbers be profitable. Um, not saying it's not possible, but there, that happens a lot. 
I think that's a, a good point. And what you said before made me think like, well, yeah, yeah when you're just, just getting started or maybe based on your circumstance, it, it can be more of an investment to, I don't know, to, to be doing this for one reason or another. Um, you're really investing in your resources, your time, your money. And so, yeah, maybe you're not profitable. I would say, and I think maybe we'll talk more about this as we go through other questions, but there should potentially, I guess it depends on your goals, but really like business is so much work. There should be a point when I would say that you, you should be profitable or else is it, is it really worth it? I don't know. And that's a question that you have to answer for yourself. But at some point, I hope that you can see profit. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the sustainability piece. It could be a hobby for you forever, but you know, for most of us who are doing this, this is either our primary in- income or maybe it's a secondary income, but it should be income. And so that mm-hmm. income is usually only based on if you are making a profit, because then if you have income, but then you also have a ton of costs, you're technically taking home nothing. So um, it can feel, I feel like if you're in a canoe and you only have one paddle instead of two paddles, so you're just going like in a circle where it might feel like you're making progress, but you're really not, not going anywhere. Would you say that you currently run a profitable event business? Ooh, put me on the spot. Um, yes, I would say that I, I, I do. One thing I will also say is that I am pretty cheap. So like I like did not invest all those things like, okay, well, no, yeah. All those things you mentioned, like, like G Suite or uh, QuickBooks or just like a lot of other things I did not get until later, until I was, until I felt like I could justify it. So I really started with like bare minimum, um, just a normal Gmail email at first until I was like, okay, we're going to change this. Um, anyway. And so uh, for that reason, it, yeah, it took me a while to justify paying for things, AKA my expenses were super low, low overhead. So yeah, it was, it was pretty easy to be profitable. Um, that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> what about you, Logan? Do you currently run a profitable event business? Yes. Today in 2023, I run a profitable event business. I would say when I started, I was similar to you, pretty lean, um, but I also was charging a lot less. So it was not necessarily my event part of my business when I first went freelance was not sustainable. My I had to do marketing uh, retainer clients. So people who paid me on a monthly basis to do social media marketing and other digital marketing really was what made me personally profitable so I could pay rent and things like that. But the event business, it took a while to kind of scale up. And then I got to a tipping point where a lot of times I was incurring a lot of those costs for clients and not necessarily charging more. And I'd been charging what I was charging before, where it was really just my time. And that same kind of thinking, Mary, where I was like, my time is just profit. It's not really because your time could be spent on something else. So um, it, it, has been a couple shifts that I've made in the past couple years. And we can dive into some of those as we talk, but I've also probably dropped some hints on the podcast that now I would call myself a profitable event business. And I'm much more cognizant of what costs I'm willing to take on myself and which ones I'd prefer just the client to pay out of since I am usually much smaller than the folks that I'm working with. So, yeah. Uh, And just to kind of recap, I think if some of you have been listening to this for, to us for a while, you might know, but for those that are newer, I think this is specifically an important time to call out. Um, Logan has been in business for how long? Six years at this point. Yeah. Six and a half. (laughs) Almost seven years. (laughs) And I am at two and a half years. And so, you know, there's like, there's a difference between this. Um, also when we talk about money, I feel like I cannot not say that my mindset has been a little different from running a business because I have a partner who like I rely on for income 
And I, and I want to say that because I think it really influences a lot of the stuff that you'll hear me say. I've had a lot more security and I've made choices accordingly. And so that's also something that I wanted to kind of point out as we talk about this. Yeah, I think that's helpful just to provide context. I mean, I had similar when I first started. I knew I had support from on the family side if I ever, if, you know, get you a worst case scenario and I fall flat on my face where I could probably have asked family members for support if I had to go back to the drawing board and my business failed and I needed to do something else. So I definitely also had a very similar safety net when I was first mm-hmm. starting and that made it easier for me to go out on my own. But um, I think we're just diving more in talking about to be profitable, it really comes into like, you need to know your numbers. And so that's why the whole idea for this episode is really, cause I know a lot of people would be like, I'm profitable. And then you like, if you wanted to look at their profit loss statement and actually see their costs versus what they're bringing in, you'd be like, you're actually pretty close to breaking even. Um, and so like, I just want to dive into kind of some of those factors and um, Mary and I can share more about our businesses and just some like tips and best practices. But um, so I feel like the first part of profit is you got to think about your revenue and what you're bringing in. And so I feel like a common question that we get Mary all the time is how do you set your pricing? And I can, I can jump into it first, but I, cause I just had a conversation with someone like last week about this. Um, and she was asking, how do I set pricing? And she was giving me some examples and wanting to know, is this okay? You know, if I want to charge, you know, $35 an hour, is that okay? Or should I charge more? And this is something that's like so hard to define because we love events because they're arbitrary and you truly could charge $15 an hour, or you could charge $150 an hour. And that is incredibly frustrating when you are the person setting your own pricing. Now, when you're beginning and getting started and trying to get experience, you're probably more flexible to be on the lower end of that in that $20, $30, $40 range. Um, And then as you get more experience, you now can be more selective with what you say yes to maybe because you're busier or you have certain degrees that you know you can charge more for um, and you want to set it higher. But the hard part with that is there's no set number. There's no correct number. And something that feels really cheap to one client is going to feel really expensive to another client. So some of it is just learning your clientele. But a lot of it is also learning like what your time is worth. You know, and Mary and I have talked about like a lot of times we'll even do project rates because that's easier than doing an hourly rate um, because then you're not incentivized. You're incentivized to work more hours to make more money. Your clients incentivized for you to work less hours. You make less money. Um, But doing project rates can help you kind of balance maybe a little bit more your cash flow and how much money you're bringing in. We also have another friend of the pod who I know goes after certain events and her like annual revenue goals are based on how much money she would make off each event. And her goal is to make several, you know, tens of thousands of dollars events, but she only needs four or five of those and she's good. And that's how she approaches her year is just to sign four or five really pretty substantially big clients. And then she's set. Um, so again, it's, it, it really looks different, but Mary, like, what would your advice be for setting pricing? I mean, I just completely agree with everything that you've said. Pricing is incredibly difficult. <laughs> it's so hard to figure out. Um, and it's, yeah, it's hard to, I don't know, see people don't talk about it. And then I've like recently actually had an opportunity to like accidentally see some other event proposals from people come in. Like I'll get hired by a client and I've noticed they give me access to their their drive and I see other quotes. So I look at the other quotes. <laughs> um, I'm like, wow. Okay. Like I just, it's a continually confusing for me <laughs> to be honest. And so, I mean, yeah, I don't know. How do you, how do, what advice do I have and how do we set pricing? Um, I think the number one question is like, what are you going to be motivated to wake up every morning and do the work for? Honestly, what is, what is that number going to be? And I think you'll attract those kinds of clients 
really. Um, and so the number that I've set, I've finally learned like that it's like, I don't know, fairly average, if you will. Like Logan said, there's like a lot below and a lot above. I feel like it's fairly average. Um, but I do try to increase that pricing every every year a little bit. And so I don't know if I have anything else to add except that like I we understand that it's difficult if you're listening to this. It's hard to set pricing, but I would do the best that you can to see what other people in your area are charging and then what's a motivational, a motivating price for you to get up and work every day. Another pro tip that I have um, would be you can look for certain projects in your area, get publicly bid out like certain festivals or Mm -hmm. like public events that the public's invited to. So like here in Seattle, that would be um, like Bumbershoot is a big music festival here that they recently just bid out. And actually like on the seattle.gov website, it's like their bids are publicly listed for anyone to go see. So you can go in and see how people structure their quotes. So whatever area you're in, um, I would look into your like local city resources because you will find some of that information publicly available versus like some of the private agencies are not going to publicly post their rates unless you're like Mary, where maybe you've gotten an eye in on the budget um, to figure out what to cost. And I think, or sorry, to figure out what to charge. Um, But another way that you could also approach it is to go backwards. So sometimes we're about to talk about like, how do you control your costs? So maybe you need to figure out what your costs are that was for me in my early days was like, what are my personal costs? Like my rent, my groceries. What do you have to make? Yeah. yeah. What do I need to make? And then kind of reverse engineer it of like, okay, how many hours can I work or do I want to work? And then how do I, how do I hit that number? You know, I feel like old school thermometers of like the fundraiser, you know, thermometer of like, I have to hit the top of the thermometer and I'm good. Anything above that is just, you know, extra gravy on top. Um, so thinking yeah. about like, how do you control your costs as a business? I think it's a great point. I want the like the woo-woo route. What do you want? What do you want to wake up every morning and be happy about? But but the reality is is what you said. So I'm real glad that you said that. I I will always say, and I mean there are some people who I'm sure are gonna disagree with me on this, but for me personally, like a service-based business, it's like way easier to control costs sometimes. Um, especially if you're not incurring expenses like for the client's sake, like Logan was kind of saying, like passing on things to them versus incurring it yourself. I don't know. I think that that there is there's a lots of ways that that you, that you can control costs. Um, I think that the like the time value of money, right? How valuable is your time? How if you invest in a product or software or something like that, how much time is it going to save you? I also think that something good to think about is like how many billable hours are you working? Like you're actually working. How many of those hours are billed to the client? Like that you're that you've been charging them for versus how much is just other stuff. And I think that really helps you consider just your time. And then once again, that helps you figure out what you're going to be spending your money on to increase your productivity. And that helps control costs. Hopefully I'm making sense. That's where my brain's going like immediately. But what do you think? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's, that's definitely in line. I think it's awareness of, yeah, what costs you are incurring like as you're bidding out the project, is it really just time or is it also that you're going to be paying for printing or like personally, as we've done more travel, Mary, together for work, like what are we billing to, the, what is getting billed to the client for our travel costs versus what do they, would they prefer to you just say, hey, I need an extra, you know, it's going to cost X for a project rate and that includes our food. And then you just like have budgeted internally for that food and things like that. I also have just on the larger scale, I feel like to your point, Mary, that you made of like also making that call of what services your business actually needs as you're getting started and as you scale up. So even as small as 
you don't want to pay for the QuickBooks 20 to $100 a month, or you don't want to pay for the project management software, whatever it is, like all those things that I think there's a lot of blogs and, you know, like lady boss and female entrepreneurs and all this stuff that are just entrepreneurs in general, they'll tell you, you need all these tools to get started. And it really is as simple as like, when I started my business, I think my costs were like, I bought my, I bought loganstrategygroup.com. I paid for uh, a website like management software so I could build my own custom website. And I did pay Gmail so I could have Logan at loganstrategygroup.com. And then I think it cost me at the time I opened my business in Pennsylvania, it was like $150 or something to register my business, a one-off cost in Pennsylvania. And I remember thinking like, it shouldn't be this easy to set up a business because it was so quick and easy to do online. Um, but like, those were my like startup, that was my getting started costs. And then s slowly it snowballed to something that's, you know, much bigger than that. But I know I try on a annual basis, if not every couple months, and I have an accountant who kind of keeps me honest on this, is just revisit to figure out and make sure like from a cash flow perspective that my my expenses are not, you know, more than my income, especially with event work because it's so inconsistent where I might have a great month in January of 2022. And then all of a sudden my January 2023 month, I have a different client. So it's, you know, much smaller or my it costs are much higher because I'm traveling somewhere versus doing it virtual. Um, so you definitely have to be much more aware and checking on it more frequently, I think, than other like businesses in different industries. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is something that we've alluded to, but just to be clear, because this is something that confused me for a long time is that uh, event professionals run their businesses different, obviously. And so like we've been hinting at the fact that some people incur a lot of costs on behalf of their client. And I want to clarify that more, especially because I think it goes into our next question. But um, there are event planners who will, for example, like every vendor is booked through them and they might upcharge. They might, they might not, I don't know. Or the rentals could even be booked through them. So like what they're charging the client is like thousands of dollars because they're covering all these expenses that are part of the event. Oh, some clients like this because you truly come in as an all-in-one solution. Everything is under you. You just do everything. Everything is built under you. A lot of people do it this way. A lot of people say that it's a miss if you don't do it this way. Like that has been told to me multiple times because you're uh, gaining more revenue because you're upcharging on these things. Um, if you, you know, go to a catering company and the catering company is providing the rentals, they're probably upcharging you. So like they're doing that. <laughs> and so that's just one like thing I wanted to call out. And some of you listening might, might do this or might've, might heard, uh, have heard about this. I don't do that. Logan, I don't think you really do that. Maybe like to some extent sometimes, but um, I like say explicitly in my contracts that all costs must go through the client because I don't want the risk. That's really what it comes down to is the risk and the cash flow makes me nervous. I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to. <laughs> so that's me. Um, who knows what will happen in the future, but that's something that I think is important to, to dive into a little bit more. Yeah. then that's just one way to kind of do it. But yeah, that like, mm -hmm. for example, would be that your lighting could cost, five grand. And if you are upcharging for it, maybe you charge the client six grand, but then you as the business are responsible for paying five of that six grand to the lighting company. And so like when Mary says cash flow, it's you usually then have to pay that, you know, your client needs to pay you a deposit. You then pay that to the lighting company. You're in charge of making sure the lighting company gets paid versus if you guys are billed separately all to the client, then you're, you're a little bit more siloed. Um, and then your costs are much, much lower. So there's different ways to do it. Um, and I think thinking about like, how do you handle unexpected costs that come up in that event planning process? This is something for me where like my scope of work and my contract are so helpful for having defined things that I am saying I am responsible for. 
And for me, the most common like unexpected costs that I could incur as a business is usually travel related. And so um, often I'll either have the client book like my flights and my hotel if they're sending me somewhere. But then it's the little things like the Ubers from the airport to your hotel or your food and just figuring out like my personal process right now is I often will bill for the the flight and the hotel directly to the client because so much of that is dependent on when it's confirmed. You know, a flight to New York right now for, for next week is going to be way more expensive than if I booked it three months ago. So that's really hard for me to estimate. And so I don't feel comfortable covering that myself. Um, but for something like food, maybe for me and my crew or my team that's coming, that's something now that I've integrated into my most of my proposals, unless the client explicitly wants me to build them based on my actual food budget for them. Um, a lot of my like smaller clients, it's just more paperwork for them. So they prefer me just to like estimate how much I think me and my crew need to eat, you know, for three days. And I just build that in that is built into my budget. And then it's up on up to me to make sure when we're on site that we actually stick to it. Um, and then there's little things I feel like printing at FedEx, random $20 here, $20 there. I've learned just to put kind of some incidental padding in my project rate budgets for those very reasons, because I hate to nickel and dime someone. But at the end of the day, if we're talking about being profitable, if you just don't account for that stuff, $20 can add up a lot, especially if you're doing a lot of events and all of a sudden you don't have as much profit in your bank as you thought you did because you've had all these incidentals. I think that's really important. Um, a lot of there's like, I guess I don't want to say a lot, but like there's a handful of planners I've talked to where they are very giving of their time and resources, which I think is amazing, but they definitely are like, I'll just print it. I'll just do that. I'll just do that. And I know that they haven't accounted for all of that in their, um, uh, their scope. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's super important is also it's helpful for your client. Like whether your client works for you again in the future or not, if they work with someone else, it's going to be sticker shock if you or somebody else comes and it's like, no, actually it costs this. And it does, but you just like took a whole bunch of it on and you didn't need to. So like be honest <laughs> with how much things are costing you because you should be compensated accordingly. Um, but I agree with you. I put a little bit of, of buffer in there for random things like printing and other random supplies that it's just easier for, for me to get. Or sometimes that's when I make the call, like enough clients want clipboards. So now I'm just going to have a bunch of clipboards, like stuff like that. And that happens occasionally too. And that's just an expense that I end up deciding is worth it over time. So- and I Sorry yeah. to clarify, though, with the printing, it's like printing a couple run of shows or a couple timelines like versus like we need to print programs for a thousand people like that's a separate no. budget item. It's more the the little like checklists and things that come up where you need a, a reserved sign for five seats that you're like, oh, I'll just print that because um, it does add up. And I know we're getting close to time, but I did want to touch on the T word of taxes because we are we are close to that tax season. April's a fast approaching. Um, but real quick, Mary, how do you share with listen, like your listeners, how do you factor taxes in? Because we love to forget about them, but they're very important. Taxes, I account for them along the way. I track my expenses. I have QuickBooks, but I also have like a different tracker just for my like sanity in my brain that's easier for me to reference at certain times. Um, and I track the, for me, what I've estimated is 21.5%. The taxes of what I'll have to pay. And so <clears throat> it adds it up throughout the year. And I see that like ginormous chunk of change that I'm going to have to pay at the end of the year, which is very annoying <laughs> sometimes. But anyway, I, I just account for it along the way. I think QuickBooks though really does help with that. But what do you do, Logan, to do help with taxes? Same. I think some people forget that like revenue, and this is again, back to our whole point of this episode of why people are might seem profitable. And then come tax time, they get hit with a 
like you're saying, Mary, roughly a 20% tax on everything they brought. I remember now I have a separate bank account that I just, same thing, I just siphon off a percentage of my taxes. Um, every time I get paid, a percentage of that just goes into that account. And I probably take it one step further than you where I actually pay quarterly estimates because it gives me more peace of mind to know my estimated taxes every single quarter. I'm paying a smaller chunk um, so that at come tax time, I don't get hit because my I want to say since my second year of business, when I was probably finally profitable, I got hit with like a $2,000 tax bill, which feels small now, but was like ginormous to me. And my my dad was helping with my books and he was like, oh, of course you have your taxes, right? And I'm sitting there going, I totally did not think it was going to be that high. <laughs> and uh-huh. It was a very stressful time and I've never wanted to feel that way again. So I definitely, no matter if you're a freelancer or a full grown business, I would make sure that you have that factored in. And when we talk about knowing your numbers, like making sure that's a part of the equations for how much you need to charge because everybody's got to pay taxes. So don't forget about it. Thanks, Logan. And great conversation today. This is, yeah, we could, we could talk more about this. We could dive yeah. further. Yeah. I feel like there's definitely a part two. Listeners send us their questions if you wanted us to dive more into anything, but just know if you're not profitable yet, that's okay. Just know there's like, there should be a yet and you should be aiming for becoming profitable. Um, but that brings us to the end of our episode. Mary, you have our bonus tip this week. I do. Our bonus tip was something I texted Logan about recently, but, uh, uh, we're going, we're going back to in-person events, more doing me personally, more venue walkthroughs. And I forgot to bring a measuring tape to one of my venue walkthroughs. And I was like, wow, this is unhelpful because obviously if it's like a larger venue, their dimensions are available and things like that. But sometimes you just need to know like, how big is this little tiny space over here? And I didn't bring a measuring tape. So Bring a measuring tape to your venue walkthroughs and pro tip, if you can get a, what do you call it? Like a, an electronic one? What do you call it? Electronic I measuring like a tape? a laser one that I had laser. a production person company came laser. in and used and he was like, oh, you want to see how tall the ceilings are? And it's just like, Beep, and it uses a laser and it's just like, oh yeah, that's like, you know, 20 feet tall. I was like, what? yeah, it's like 20 percent century. That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Amazing. That was um, our bonus tip for today. Yes. Thank you, Mary. Uh, that brings us to the end of the episode. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Better Events Pod. You can send us an email at bettereventspod at gmail.com. And you can always connect directly with Mary and I. We love hearing from you on LinkedIn. Just search either of our names. And as always, we thank you for listening. And we'll be back in your feeds again next Wednesday. Bye.